we must move on to important matters. There is a book out. When Harry Became Sally, I got a copy of it when it first came out. Uh, Responding to the Transgender uh, Moment is the subtitle. It is by uh, my friend Ryan Anderson, and you cannot buy this book at Amazon.com. For reasons that Amazon will not explain, they have stopped it. Uh, and, and, you know, there's other news related to Ryan, and he's got a new job I wanted to talk to him about. So I thought, why don't we get him on the show? Uh, and and he, may, he can convert me to Catholicism. <laughs> Ryan, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing well and always happy to have that conversation. <laughs> uh, look, I was writing about Martin Luther last night, so may, maybe not today, but... <laughs> Um, I, I, I want to let me. I'll get to your book, but I'm. I heard the news. Our, our mutual friend uh, Andrew uh, Walker emailed or texted me and and said, "I wanted you to know this was coming." And I was so excited because I I don't want to make this sound critical of of the Ethics and Public Policy Center, but I've thought for a while. Here's an organization that is in the moment perfectly. Could probably use a, a little bit younger leadership, and suddenly here you are taken over it. It's just the man in the arena uh, at a perfect moment in time. And want to let you discuss with the audience what exactly uh, the Ethics and Public Policy Center is and does. Sure. Well, for, uh, first, thank you. I, I appreciate that. That's very uh, complimentary. Um, I mean, more or less, EBPC was founded in the bicentenary year of our nation. So 1976. It's explicitly pro-Bible and pro-America, right? Two things that I'm in favor of, right? It's explicitly a Judeo-Christian think tank that wants to draw from the Judeo-Christian theological tradition to help support the American political tradition. Um, Ed Whalen has been our president, was our president for the past 17 years. He did heroic work getting mm-hmm. every good um, judicial nominee successfully confirmed during that time. I mean, he, he was at the forefront of so many of those confirmation battles. Um, he's now in his 60s, and he thought, you know, I've been president for 17 years. I just want to be a senior fellow again. Let me recruit, you know, my successor. And so the credit goes to Ed for having, the, you know, the foresight to say yeah. it's time to pass the baton. It's time to get someone from that next generation. You know, a lot of leaders want to hold on well past their prime. Like, that's not Ed. Ed's a very generous guy. Um, and so as a result, we now have uh, the opportunity here um, to really take you know, a 40 something year old institution that's had a lot of success and just take it to that next level, bringing on board someone like Andrew Walker, um, bringing on board Roger Severino, the former director of civil rights at HHS during the Trump years who undid all of the bad stuff that the Obama people did on civil rights in the healthcare uh, department. Like he's now one of our senior fellows leading the HHS accountability project at EVPC. So, so it's really exciting because a lot's going to be going on to make sure that uh, people of faith, of orthodox biblical faith, have a voice in D.C. on all of these important policy issues. Well, and again, you know, Ed really, I think, does deserve a lot of credit here because he and I have both lamented in the past how you oftentimes in Washington see this, this set up among a lot of think tanks and, and organizations where donors pour money in, build a group up, and it's so defined by the head of the organization. When he goes away, the whole thing collapses. And his leadership in, in wanting to oversee a transition to preserve the organization, I think, has been so commendable of him along the way. And he's a great guy, too. Um, he's one of my favorite people to follow online. <laughs> uh, oh, now, oh, without a doubt. I mean, he if, if you want to stay up to date on the court, there's no one better to follow than Ed's blogging at bench memos at NRO and then his Twitter feed. Uh, yeah. You know, if you want to know what's going on from a conservative jurisprudential perspective, Ed's the man. 
Yeah, very much so. Now, the, let, let's turn to the, the issue at hand here with your book. Uh, when Harry Became Sally, I actually bought my copy from Amazon, and, and now you can't. And have they told you anything about why? Not really. Um, the only thing they will say, the only thing they'll say to the publisher, the only thing they'll say to members of the Senate who have asked, the only thing they'll say to members of Congress who have asked is that it violates their content policy. Uh, which is surprising because it didn't violate their content policy for three years. You know, they sold right. thousands of copies of this book for three years. And only now, you know, after Trump has left office, after Attorney General Barr has left office, after Josh Hawley is no longer in the majority party in the Senate, and the very same week that Nancy Pelosi scheduled the Equality Act for a vote in the House, only now does the book violate the content policy. And there's been no explanation, no um, no specification of you know which aspect of the content policy does it violate, and no specification of like what page of the book you know commits these violations. Right, so we have no idea what's wrong with the book. There's just a lack of transparency. Um, we filed an appeal, but we haven't even gotten a response on our appeal. Right, so it's like who knows? It's a black box. Yeah, it really, that's one of the most disturbing parts here is that they they never do share the actual reason and it it sure seems to be awfully suspicious given that they were perfectly fine for a number of years i mean when when it came out i, I think i got a galley copy of it but then i ordered a copy as well just because i wanted to support the effort uh and the research of the book and no problem next day delivery from amazon and, and now you can't and, and i guess that gets to one of the bigger topics here is one of the things we're really beginning to see in the country, particularly with the transgender movement, is a real censoriousness of we're not allowed to have the conversation we just must accept. And I don't know that that's going to get them very far in in life, shutting people down and intimidating people. I think that's exactly right, because I mean, so the reality about this book is that it's, you know, it's not a bomb throwing book. It's not a name calling book. Um, you know, this is like a Robbie George style book. Uh, right. Robbie was, you know, a mentor of mine from when I was an undergrad at Princeton. You know, it's, it's, it's argued compassionately. It cites, you know, all the most rigorous academic sources imaginable. And yet it is still unacceptable to Amazon, which, you know, makes people think that it's not about how you say it. It's not about how rigorously you argue it. It's that they just disagree with what you're saying. And the problem for Amazon is that, you know, the vast majority of people agree with me on this issue. And not just social conservatives, not just religious individuals. You know, there are lots of card-carrying Democrats, like lefty Bernie Sanders supporters, who think it's deeply problematic that big pharma is um, you know, using puberty-blocking drugs to block kids from going through natural biological puberty. Right? Lots of progressive liberal feminists think it's deeply problematic that high school girls are losing championship track races to boys who identify as girls. So this isn't a partisan issue. It's not a religious issue. Uh, it's almost like a common sense issue. And Amazon set itself up on the wrong side of common sense, which is why I think you've seen so many people express concern over this. Um, well, and it, it, there seems to be almost, uh, you know, I've, I've been re referring to the, the social justice woke set lately as, as woke haram, uh, given some of their tactics and intimidation uh, threats and, and bullying, and it seems like so much of corporate America right now has bought into that agenda, the, the woke agenda, if you will, where e anyone who's on the outside saying, wait a second, this doesn't make sense, uh, corporate America kind of either tunes them out or censors them, 
And I don't know whether it's they've actually bought into it or they're just scared of of having uh, coming under fire. My sense is that it's actually it's a combination of both. Right. So some of the people there and I would say, you know, the people in like the human resources, personnel department, media department, they, they're true believers. Like they bought into this. You know, they, they graduated with you know, gender studies degrees, stuff like that. And then I think some of the corporate execs, um, you know, the people who are more concerned with bottom line, they're afraid. Right. They're afraid that, you know, if they don't give in to the ideological demands, you know, then who knows what happens. Right. I, I actually think it's a bad business decision after Target made the decision to have, you know, uh, um, uh, transgender friendly uh, um, fitting room policies. The target stock tanked. People issued boycotts. It was a bad business decision uh, for target. But I think it's a combination of there are some true believers um, there. And then there are also some kind of corporate execs who are afraid of standing up to the true believers. And you see this playing out in newspapers all the time, right? I mean, look at what's happening at the New York Times and at other and at the Atlantic, right? Other kind of prominent um, uh, uh, journalism outfits, where you have like a younger generation of true believers um, forcing out someone like Andrew Sullivan, right, right. from 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 New York uh, Magazine, because the execs don't quite have the backbone to stand up to them. Yeah, they they really don't. And but. I, I, I got a man. I could talk to you a while for this issue, and we got limited time here. But let me ask you this: There seems to have been in just the last year or so, and and people talk about um, uh, social contagion, something that you, you read stories. For example, the school in Great Britain of autistic kids, where someone decided to transition, and suddenly an overwhelming number of the kids in the school decide they're transgender as well. There just seems to be something in culture right now. Uh, that that is playing itself out where kids, particularly Gen Z, I guess they call it, uh, that they we're in a postmodern era where they, they got to try things out for themselves. They can't just accept stuff as fact. And, and there's just this weird phenomenon now of people suddenly saying, oh, maybe I'm transgender when probably they're not. And I, do you, how do you articulate these issues of what's going on in culture right now? Oh, th- that is such a hugely important insight you just made, Eric. Um, and, and you're not alone in, in pointing this out. You know, lefty professors have pointed this out. So in the U.S., Lisa Littman, a professor at Brown University, was one of the first to suggest, wait a minute, something new is going on here. The term she coined was rapid onset gender dysphoria, where, you know, a high school or college age girl with no history of gender struggles all of a sudden announces, you know, she's a trans boy or gender fluid or, you know, non-binary. And then a whole host of other people within her social circles make similar announcements. And, you know, the, what you refer to as social contagion is, is that type of idea. It's not like a physical contagion the way that, you know, like COVID is a physical mm-hmm. uh, contagion, but it's something in the culture, something in the society. So there's a social spread of this. Just last week, the Dutch doctor who pioneered the puberty blocking regime said, wait a minute, like what we started doing a decade ago shouldn't be uncritically applied all across the globe. And he, he, he was expressing, you know, this is now happening all across the globe. And we have to think uh, through this because we're seeing a new form of gender dysphoria take place. Abigail Schreier has written a great book highlighting just like the personal stories and testimonies and evidence of, you know, what's a 4,400% increase in the United Kingdom of teenage and 20-something girls presenting as boys and seeking testosterone and surgery. 
And we got to pump the brakes, right? We can't rush into this and say, yes, like the problems with your body and therefore the solution is testosterone and surgery. It's to my mind, not a surprise that this is happening at the same time as the Me Too movement. What both of these suggest is that our culture is deeply inhospitable uh, to girls and women. Uh, and it's not surprising to me that at the same time that we have lots of women coming out with stories of how they've been um, um, sexually harassed and physically abused in a variety of ways, other women are, you know, fleeing from their own femininity, their own womanhood, right? Our, our, our culture isn't getting uh, what it means to be a man and a woman correct. And it's manifesting itself in a variety of ways. Yeah, I, it's, I'm, I'm alarmed at the, the trend, but before you came on, I was talking with my audience about the Chesterton's idea of the democracy of the dead and, you know, society sorts itself out over thousands of years and, and suddenly along comes the 21st century and like, yeah, maybe we've been doing it wrong for 6,000 years of humanity and, and should rush headlong into something else. And I don't think that's a stable way to keep society going. Uh, definitely not. And, you know, it was um, John Paul II. So I'm going to give you a, a Catholic quote here, but he's one of my favorites. Of the last century, you know, he said, look, the problem of the 20th century was the problem of faulty humanism. You know, we thought that by getting rid of God, we'd be elevating man. And in reality, by getting rid of God, we're debasing and degrading man. And, you know, he pointed to the two world wars, the Holocaust, um, totalitarian regimes. He then extended that analysis with abortion. And I think we can now extend that with you know, redefining marriage and now even redefining what it is to be a man and a woman. We're, we're discarding basic truths from the very first page of Genesis, right? That we're made in the image and likeness of God, that we're created male and female, and that male and female are created for each other. And a society that rejects such basic truths isn't going to be a healthy, flourishing society for much longer, right? And so this is why there's, a, there's an important emphasis that we get this right. Uh, because in the meantime, there are people who are suffering and they're not getting the healing and the care that they deserve. Very well said. Ryan, listen, uh, where can people go to learn more about uh, you and, and the Ethics and Public Policy Center? Sure. The, the website is eppc.org. So eppc.org. Uh, you can learn more about me, learn more about my colleagues um, at EPPC. And then if you do want to buy the book, don't go to Amazon because it's not there. Go directly to the publisher. You know, cut out the middleman. This is a way for the publishers to actually make some money on this and for Amazon to take a hit on the pocketbook. It's EncounterBooks.com. Uh, Encounter publishes lots of good conservative books, and they would appreciate your support. Well, yeah, I was going to send people to Barnes & Noble to buy, but I will I will do a link there as well. I do this text thing where I encourage people to, to text, and I can send them back a link to buy it. I will readjust it from, from one to the other before I send it out and make sure people get the book. Listen, it is always good to talk to you. I am so happy that you are where you are right now. Uh, you're doing the Lord's work, and, and unfortunately, you're going to have to deal with Andrew Walker, which is a well, God bless you for that one as well. There's a sainthood in there for you somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Thanks. Take care. Uh, Ryan Anderson, Ethics Public Policy Center. Y'all, he is a phenomenal human being and probably the best spoken uh, on this issue. And I will, you know what, let me go on and tell you, if you text the word data to 33777, you can buy his, you really should buy his book. Do you have any interest in what's going on culturally at this moment right now? You should buy his book, When Harry Became Sally. Amazon does not want you to buy it, but if you text the word data to 33777, uh, the link goes to Barnes & Noble right now. I'll update it in just a little bit uh, so that it goes to Encounter Books directly. But 
great guy, uh, phenomenal scholar as well. And I'm so glad he's at EPPC, the Ethics Public Policy Center, uh, where Christianity and the public square meet. Uh, he does good work there too.